The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Well, thanks to our readers who sent in their videos. Many of you are watching online and we're thankful for you. Um, this evening, I, I want to do something different that I have not done since we planted this church on Good Friday, and that's spend a little bit of time teaching about the cross and about the crucifixion. Um, just a few minutes for us to reflect on the cross. So um, in, my, uh, in my opinion, many evangelical expressions of church uh, kind of let the cross take a back seat and the victory of the resurrection gets to ride shotgun. Like that's just my, my interpretation of things. And, and hear me, yes and amen to the resurrection. Right On Sunday, in, in, in three days, we will celebrate the Lord raising Jesus from the dead. We're going to celebrate it with a baptism. I mean, praise the Lord what, what will happen on Sunday. But lest we miss part of the equation, tonight we, we try to focus on and reflect on and, and really look at the cross. See, Christians um, historically could have picked a bunch of other symbols to represent our faith. There were plenty of choices. They could have chosen the manger as a, as a symbol of humility. Right? They, they, they could have chosen the towel as a picture of his servant's heart. It could have been the stone that was rolled away from the tomb or the crown as he is the king of kings. It could have been a dove or it could have been a fish. Any of those symbols could have been chosen, but they were not. They chose the cross. To quote theologian John Stott, they wished to commemorate as central to their understanding of Jesus, neither his birth nor his youth, neither his teaching nor his service, neither his resurrection nor his reign, nor his gift of the spirit but his death, his crucifixion. Now, if you were with us at Fathom last year, we studied through 1 Corinthians and, and Paul at the beginning of 1 Corinthians starts the letter by admitting that to the onlooking world, the cross, okay, the message of the gospel is, is folly. He says it's foolishness to the eyes of the world, this cross that we look at. And I, so, I sort of love that he starts his letter that way. I love how unbelievably honest the scriptures are to us that to the point where they're like, yeah, some of this stuff is really hard to believe. Some of this stuff is kind of hard to digest. To non-Christians, Paul admits that this whole Jesus dying on the cross to save sinners seems rather foolish. And Paul does not say that of the resurrection. He only says that of the cross. Again, not to say that the resurrection is of less importance, not at all, but, but Paul focuses on the cross at the beginning of that letter. The cross, crucifixion, it's a particularly cruel and shameful death. It's, it's as rule reserved for the hardest of criminals in the Roman Empire, irredeemable slaves, rebels against the Roman state. It's actually historically illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. They would never subject one of their own to this torture. 
Crucifixion is one of the historically most cruelest methods of execution ever practiced. For it deliberately delayed death until a maximum amount of torture had been inflicted. Literally, the victim could could hang on the cross, suffering for days before dying. And the fact that the cross became that symbol for Christians, and that, hear me, Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of ridicule, to discard it in favor of something less offensive. That means that we must take the cross and the crucifixion of Christ with the highest reverence and the highest importance. So what I want to do with a little bit of time is I want to point out three truths about the crucifixion that I've derived from, uh, fr- from a book called the, the Cross of Christ by John Stott. It's a masterpiece. Um, but but it, these three truths, uh, I hope, will help us understand why this is so important as followers of Christ, that we not lose this for all the glory and all the victory that we will celebrate on Sunday in the resurrection. And these may seem simple in nature, but they are truly profound as we reflect on the cross. So first, tonight, our sin must be extremely horrible. The the cross, the crucifixion, tells us that our sin must be extremely horrible. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like the cross. It was your sin, by the way. It was my sin. It was our sin. Sin. It was all sin that put Jesus there. There is no way by which the righteous God could righteously forgive our unrighteousness except that he should bear it himself. In Genesis chapter 4, we find Adam and Eve after the fall. They have two sons. You know, maybe know the story Cain and Abel. And Abel brings his offering to God. And then Cain brings his offering to God and the Lord has regard for Abel's offering, but he didn't like Cain's. He did not like Cain's offering and Cain gets angry. He gets angry at God. He gets angry at his brother and God shows up to Cain and says something very fascinating. I'll show it to you. In Genesis 4, 6 through 7, he says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Right after original sin, God shows up to the first two brothers on our planet and and he illustrates sin for Cain. This is before Cain sins, but he illustrates sin as a wild animal. And he's like, hey, Cain, there's something and it's crouching at your door and it's got eyes for you. And it's it's a wild animal. It's got a passion for you and it's desire is to take you out. And note that God gives him a a way out here, right? He says, if you do well here, you're going to rule over it. But if you don't, it will pounce on you. It will attack you. It will eat you alive. And we know from the story that Cain completely ignores 
God's warning and sin does indeed take root in his heart and he ends up killing his brother. And believe me, it's all downhill from there. That's the nature of sin. The nature of sin in in your life and in my life is that it takes root and it continues to grow and and to grow and its goal is to eventually destroy us all. But the truth of the matter is that we don't think of sin like that. Most of us don't, at least. We don't think of our sin as a wild animal just waiting to attack, waiting to pounce. We don't think of it like that, do we? We tend to think about our sin and speak about our sin as something that we struggle with. I'm struggling with this. It's something I'm wrestling with. It's something I'm, 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 I'm challenged by. We don't see it as a predator that might actually kill us. No, we try to domesticate it as a pet. But the cross is the objective evidence that our sin must be extremely horrible. Stott says this, it is impossible for us to face Christ's cross with integrity and not to feel ashamed of ourselves. And I know we've covered this point a lot at Fathom, even just in previous weeks, but but tonight as we gaze on the cross, let us not neglect the seriousness of our sin. But the second truth, though, that pairs with that first truth is this. God's love must be wonderful beyond comprehension. Yes, our sin must be extremely horrible, but God's love must be wonderful beyond our comprehension. God could quite justly have abandoned us to our fate. With complete integrity, God could have left us there. He could have left us to reap what we had sown. He could have left us to perish in our sins. It's certainly what we deserved, but he did not. Oh, how he must love us. Because he loved us, he came after us in Christ. He pursued us all the way to Golgotha, to that hill where he bore our sin, to the anguish of the cross where he took our guilt and he took our judgment and he took death. I mean, I've said it before to your church, but, but God, did you know God knows you and he loves you? And it's that and that's really important. He knows you. He really knows you. He knows all of your horrible sins. He knows all the junk that you think you've got hidden well enough. All that stuff that you did so long ago that you've never talked about, but it's so far past that you just think, man, that thing is lost to antiquity. He knows all of that. God knows you and he still loves you. That and is the best news you could ever hear. He knows you and he loves you. Oh, how wonderful his love must be. He knows the truth about every single one of us. And he, that means he knew exactly what he was doing when he saved you. He knew exactly what he was getting when he picked you. And hear me, he still picked you. I wouldn't have picked you. I wouldn't have picked me. Oh, how wonderful God's love must be. Wonderful beyond our comprehension. Finally, the third truth from the cross tonight is this. Christ's salvation 
must be a free gift. It must be a free gift. As we focus on the cross and the crucifixion, it must be a free gift of grace. Jesus purchased us at the price of his own blood. So what is there left to pay? What is there left to earn? Nothing at this point. He says on the cross, it is finished. And in some way that counted for you, it counted for me. Therefore, there's nothing for us left to contribute. The bill has been paid in full. Not that we could, even if we wanted to contribute. You see, the cross shows us that Jesus didn't come merely to tweak us a little bit. It it, it shows us that we are not immoral people who just need to get moral. Right? We aren't sick people who just need to get healthy again. We aren't bad people who just need a life coach to give us some direction. We aren't pretty good people and we just need Jesus to come in and kind of push us over that edge. Now the cross shows us that we are dead people and we need to be brought back to life. You may have heard that illustration used by pastors that that we're out on the ocean and we are drowning and, and we're gasping for for air, trying to tread water desperately in this life and that Jesus is in the lifeboat, right? And he shows up and he throws us that little thing and we grab a hold of it and he rescues us from certain peril by pulling us into the boat and saving us. And I think, what a cute story. Totally wrong. Not the gospel message at all. Because the truth is, you're not out in the water treading, hoping to be rescued, Before Jesus shows up, think the movie Titanic. You've seen this? Titanic? Okay, it's old, but you're not Rose floating on that door, selfishly watching Leonardo slip into the the abyss. You're not Rose. You are Leonardo DiCaprio. We are face down at the bottom. We have drowned spiritually. And fish are already starting to nibble at our remains. And then Jesus, by grace alone, brings us back to life. Dead people can't do anything about their deadness. Right? You've never seen a TV show where a dead person grabs those paddles and goes, clear, and shocks themselves back to life. Dead people are out of the game. We are dead people. And that's why Christ's salvation must be a free gift. Because if we could save ourselves, he would not have needed to do what he did. You see, the cross stands as as the grounds for free salvation and also the most powerful incentive then for us to live a holy life. It is both, okay? But we have to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross, We have to confess that we have sinned. We we deserve nothing but judgment. And we have to thank him that he loved him, loved us and died for us. Then we receive this full and free forgiveness. This is the cross. This is the crucifixion. This is our Lord. So tonight, this good Friday, I want you to behold the cross. I want you to behold the lamb of God who takes away our sins. I want you to behold the horror of it. But I want you to behold the 
beauty of it. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, tonight as we gather on this Good Friday, we acknowledge once again that that we are 100% completely beholden to you moving towards us. That we did nothing to earn the salvation that you freely give, but that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead in our trespasses, face down, no signs of life, Christ offered us the newness of life. And we will celebrate the life that comes, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. But tonight we remember the cross. How horrible, Lord, our sins must be. How wonderful your love must be. And how free the gift of grace is to us. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we want to pursue you more. We want to go deeper with you. Reveal in us where there is still darkness, where there is still sin clinging to us and help us, Father, to more fully demonstrate our love to you as you have demonstrated your love for us. God, give us eyes to see the cross, to see Jesus tonight change us by it. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.